This is the Get A Life Podcast. X-Cult Conversations. Hello everyone, welcome to this edition of Get A Life X-Cult Conversations. Um, our special guest today is Dan Middleton, who comes to us all the way from Thailand. Um, Dan is an old friend of mine. We, we grew up together in the same um, locality of Cambridge, UK. And then we went opposite directions. He went to Thailand and I went to Canada. So it, it's great to catch up with Dan again. So over to you, Dan. Tell us a little about your experiences since I last saw you. Yeah, well, it's been it's been a very long time. Um, it must be 25 years since we were back in Cambridge together. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I do... There is a familiarity there in that I know you and I know where you're from. So that's that's nice. And it's very nice to meet all of you guys who are it's joining nice us to meet the you podcast. Too. Um, so Richard thought that my story might be interesting, as in that uh, I, I did actually, I, I chose to leave. That was a conscious decision that I made very, on, very early on in my life to leave the, the Plymouth Brethren. Um, so I, I don't really hold any animosity against them. And I still have family members that are a part of the church and I'm, you know, I'm easygoing, I'm liberal. So I, I don't mind whatever floats their boat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're allowed to have boats, um, Dan. No, no, that's, that's <laughs> one thing they're not allowed. Okay. So I, I did put a, yeah, I'm going to share a this. small presentation together just to give them, uh, you know, a, a fair hearing. So, okay. My name's Dan Middleton. I was actually born early 70s, so a few years younger than Richard, I think. The youngest of five siblings in Cambridge, UK. Um, at that stage, the the... Cambridge Brethren were under the leadership of Roy Norman, and the Norman family still remains, I think, quite a prominent part of the locality there. My um, yeah, my I, I think they're, I think they're back in. Sorry, go on. Yeah, carry on. They're they're back in power. Yeah, yeah. They, there was a there was a kind of a. I think the Drakes got got back in for a while. And then the Normans seize the seize the throne back, uh, but I mean I'm not quite up to date, so it's quite yeah. possible it's passed back to the passed back to the Drakes by now. But anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting. <laughs> That's all right. No, no, pre pre teen years were very fond memories of you know normal childhood, as far as I was aware. Um, it was very a very close knit family, and obviously a very close knit community. Um, pre teens was was really no issue. You were just feeling out the world, right? You're yep. just learning how, how to behave amongst other people. Um, I, I guess once you get to school, it starts to feel a bit less familiar. And it's a, a complex of them and us, where you're, very, you're, you're trained from a very young age that you are supposedly special and superior and privileged, which... You know, fair dues. I, I think I was privileged to be in the in the family I was, but that doesn't mean you're superior. 
right? <laughs> um, there was there was always a phrase like "governed by a higher power." I, I understood that to mean you know under the jurisdiction of of God, but um, I later sort of revised my views on that one. It's sort of under the jurisdiction of whoever the power, the the elect vessel is, you know. So, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> keep going. Yeah, of yeah. Keep, I, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit my vices as well. Teenage years, you um, you experiment with all sorts of things, and there's there's hormones, and there's opportunities, and there's friendships at school, etc. Which um, so that led to secret drinking and smoking and listening to the radio, fascination with um, war and guns and pornography. So that kept me it kept me pretty busy through the teenage teenage years. Um, I think that's probably normal. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I, I can assure but, you it is, although they try and hide that fact from you when you're in the brethren. All, all right. the priests, all the priests look look at you and they shake their head in sorrow. And you later find out they're up to exactly the same thing when they were teenagers, right? <laughs> and Pe worse people in many cases. <laughs> people in glass houses, right? They shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. Stones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think the um, cult insiders. I don't. It's probably across the board in a cult. They're judged particularly harsh when it comes to you know normal child development or experimentation um the guilt that they make you feel uh as if you're the first person that's been caught with pornography or the first person that's smoked a cigarette in the in the brethren um that was it's pretty harsh it really is for a for a young teenager um the pain that you cause your your family, close family members, it's you know it stays with you. But unfortunately, I you know they got me to see a priest maybe two or three times, but um, my conviction was not there. I didn't have conviction about the the faith or the the church, so uh, it just made me redouble my efforts to to hide the indiscretions. Yeah. Okay, next next slide. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I, I was homeschooled from 16 to 18. And I, I do consider it, I was very lucky in that I did have exposure to the outside world until I was, uh, until I was 16. And I think that changed, well, that changed when I was 16. We started homeschooling. Uh, and I do feel very sorry for the younger kids that don't get that exposure to outside world or normal people or however you want to call them. Yeah. Leaving, leaving was um, leaving was a was a very planned event. It was. Uh, it was very meticulously planned. In fact, I, I actually delayed my leaving the church for about eight months or a year because my sister was, was due to get married. 
and I didn't want to upset her plans and her send off, etc. So um, I had carefully laid plans with with contacts outside through through work um, and also through other leavers who had who had left previous to me. Um, secured a car, secured rented accommodation, etc. And I think it was a, a Saturday morning after the morning reading. They um, we we came home just me and my my parents, and I prepared a letter, handed them the letter, and and got in my car and left. Hmm. So it's it's not really a story of confrontation or arguing or fighting. It was a case of my mind was made up, and my plans were laid. The you know the track was was set and I was going in a different direction. Do you think that was a surprise to your parents or do you think they'd anticipated this? No, I, I think it was an absolute shock to them. Um, from hiding stuff for years, all of the other vices that I have, um, I got pretty good at hiding my intentions. I got pretty good at, you know, going along and showing the right sentiment and fitting in, yeah. I, I have no idea. You were there. You were at the meeting the, the day that I left. Richard, did you have? Yes, any no, idea? no. I, I remember you. You know, I remember you leaving, and of course, everyone was quite shocked. Um, I think they were particularly shocked about where you ended up. Uh, <laughs> right. That's the next part of your story, so I won't. I won't spoil it. Yeah, but but you didn't have any inkling before I left. I, I didn't share I didn't, no, inside the group. I, anyone that I spoke to, I didn't speak about that. I didn't have any intention to go with somebody or, you know, because of somebody, it was, it was purely my own off my own back. Yeah. So unfortunately the pain of separation, most people listening to this or watching this will appreciate it continues for a very, very long time. And the, the cuts are very deep and they sort of reappear at, most inconvenient times. <laughs> yeah. So um, I just wanted to encourage people that slowly it does become less acute. The pain does go away and you do find new reasons to, to carry on and keep fighting. And there is, that was, that was one thing that was very impressive. There is support outside in the, in the general community for people that are distressed or, or, too innocent for the world. Um, there is support. There are people that will help you and sympathize. And while they might not understand, they will give you encouragement. So that's, I wanted to share that. Yeah. So outside of the, um, outside of the brethren, I, I actually continued to work for my family's business, which it's a long time ago, 25 years, I guess. I guess it was awkward, um, but I was quite headstrong and did my own thing and slowly acclimatized to the, the new atmosphere, which was um, visiting pubs and making friends in pubs. And I got friendly with the landlord and he took me to football matches and meet new people. I always had a problem, you know, um, empathizing with people my own age. Because the you know the the culture was so foreign to you when you first leave, right? Yeah, 
they're always talking about TV programs and you just had no idea what they were talking right. about. Right. <laughs> so so I admit to spending yeah. I admit to spending hours catching up with TV in my in my rented accommodation. Yeah. Um watching all the old classics and yeah. And uh through the friendships at the pub, I actually got an opportunity to go sailing on a sailboat. It was 43 foot, a small sailboat, four berths around the coast of, around the coast of the UK. So at weekends we would run out and go sailing on the boat just for like practice or I don't know, team building. It was just something to do. So that was, that was a bit of an adventure way out of the um, spectrum from the, the, the brethren set up mm-hmm. and, and through that, the guy, the guy whose boat we were going with, um, he was planning on going to Turkey. So he had this dream of, he packed up his pl- plumbing business in the UK and his dream was to sail his boat to Turkey and then live in Turkey and rent the boat in Turkey. Mm. And he was actually looking for crew. He was looking for somebody to, to help him, sail it down there so i took that opportunity and and jumped jumped on board with him that, that was, would be incredible um, <laughs> yeah well looking back i i probably wouldn't do it again at my age but at 20 and with very little to lose and i <laughs> guess there's the there's the religious thing as well you know there's running away and there's running away right i I really wanted to get out of there, get out of the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not sure whether it was at that time or probably a, a couple of years later, I went back to the UK and sold everything that I had, you know, relinquished all ties to the UK, asked them what to do about tax and retirement, social security. I had no intention of living in the UK or, or ever coming back, to be honest. So, um, mm. yeah, it was quite an adventure, leaving from Portsmouth uh, across the Bay of Biscay round to Lisbon in Portugal. We stopped off at Gibraltar and then at Crete and then to Turkey. So that was maybe six six or eight weeks on a sailboat with um, – carry on. Had you ever been outside the UK before? Before that point, I had um, to a certain extent. I guess, um, yeah, I, I had been down to France. Right. I don't know. Because in, in, in the Brethren, uh, in those days, opportunities to travel were very, very slim, weren't they? I mean, uh, I, the first time right. I, I think we did. T- two-day trips to France when I was in my teens because you had to get back in time for the meeting, so you never got beyond Boulogne. Um, but the first time I left the UK was after I got married when I was in my 20s, um, and then he went to Germany for a fellowship meeting. But this is a pretty exotic adventure for someone who's been raised in the Brethren in the UK. That's, <laughs> that's all I'm thinking. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Did we miss did we miss one of the one of the slides here, Cheryl? In that um I did go down to the south of France after I left. Uh leaving. No, no, that's good. 
Yeah, that's number eight. I must. I have it somewhere else. It's all right. I, I went down to the south of France because leaving the brethren, I was considering joining the armed forces as being yeah. a way of securing bed and board and having something to do when you leave the brethren, you know. Um, so yeah. I did apply for the, the UK army and they rejected me based on health concerns. Um, failing that, I actually went down to Marseille in France to to look at joining the foreign legion but i just couldn't get my head around the language i don't no. know how the <laughs> canadians manage the french the the french language but it's it's really difficult yeah. so i wasn't ready for that sort of commitment that was that was too too much interesting yeah so the next part of my story having arrived in turkey i actually stayed there for six months um, we had various guests on the boat and we sailed around various islands going from up the coast, the, the southern coastline of um, Turkey and across to Greece. So there was various trips around there. And that was really where I found my feet. Um, I found when I left in the UK, I was always, I wasn't an insider and I wasn't really an outsider. I just didn't fit in. But suddenly, if you go to a foreign country, then no, nobody foreign fits in anyway. So <laughs> you're just one of a, another million tourists, you know? Yeah. Um, you sort of fit, fit in better. Yeah, so I, I, had, found I had that. I... Last time. I had exactly the same experience. Um, going to jamaica where because where i was in the wood and a little odd but when i went to jamaica the culture is so different they just put my peculiarities down to being english rather than wondering if i'd come out of a weird cult so uh, <laughs> yes um yeah I, I i very much had the same experience <laughs> yeah 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 no it's 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 a real eye-opener and in, in that they're not looking at you because you're weird or because you left the church they just assume that because you're white or because you're foreign, you do things differently. Yeah. So that was yeah, a, exactly. a new lease of life. And, and I got experience in, you know, clubbing and discos and meeting people and girlfriends, I guess that was my first um, experience in South, South Turkey. That was a, a real eye opener. Mm. So, Sorry, just on the last slide there, the, the last part of that journey <clears throat> was um, I, I actually left the boat that I came on and I started doing boat repairs in Turkey and found a small catamaran that was like 52, meters, uh, 52 foot catamaran that was sailing from Turkey to Thailand. So again, it was another boat delivery thing that they needed crew, they needed people that would work for free and I was young and 20, 20 something. So I said, why not? No idea where Thailand is, but I'll go along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was leaving, leaving Turkey. We went to Port Said in Egypt, down the red, down the red, through the, the Suez Canal, down the Red Sea to Djibouti, which is a French colony, colony, sorry. Yeah, and then 
then we spent two months going across the Indian Ocean. Wow. Uh, with no stops. So, <laughs> so that, was a long, that was a long trip. That was a really long trip. Dan, did you know how to pronounce Phuket? Or? Phuket, Phuket. I, Phuket. I do now. Yeah, I've only I, just learnt a year ago. Right. It's not said Phuket. No. <laughs> a lot of people do, <laughs> but... No. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. To be honest, when I got on the boat, I had no idea where I was going. Wow. Again, I mean, I'd, I'd never heard of Thailand. What 20-year-old has, you know, apart from very lucky ones, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> arriving in Phuket, we, I left the boat that I came on with about $20 in my pocket that I had actually borrowed from a friend on the boat and uh, managed to pay him back in, within a week just by cleaning boats and maintaining boats and working on boats within Phuket. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. A long trip, very long trip. So did you see anything? I mean, on the ocean, was there any kind of wildlife out there? Did you see dolphins and whales and fish and things or is it kind of empty? No, no. Lots of dolphins, lots of, lots of tuna was our main stable. We were on tuna and rice for about, you know, the last month of the trip. Right. Um, the most terrifying thing was when you got into the shipping lanes. When you, when you get into the shipping lanes at night and there's some big containers going 20 knots, yeah. you just have to stay out of the way because they, they can't stop. You know, they yeah. come straight through you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay, is my connection okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a little bit choppy, but we can still hear you. It's all good. good.
<laughs> okay, so I, I don't know how many of you guys have ever been to Thailand or specifically Never. Phuket. Never. Well, you're welcome to come. A lot of people do. We we end up high season. We end up with the, uh, you know, millions and millions of tourists coming through, and the island is very famous for. One, the nightlife. They've got nice bars, restaurants, an active uh, nightlife there, and the pristine beaches. The picture on the on the screen there is actually um, Yao Noi. That's that's a very popular beach. It's a very it's a very good jumping off point for island hopping. So people rent boats and sail around the islands or sail to the islands. And then, you know, live in a tropical island for a couple of weeks. So that's a popular activity. And also there's a lot of culture there with temples and a lot of uh, historic um, mm -hmm. significance in Phuket, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, Thailand's been on my, my bucket list. I would love to go to Thailand. Yeah, yeah. It's a very nice place to end up. Uh, I had no intention of coming here, but it certainly drags you in and I haven't found a better place to live yet. So. Yeah, I probably wouldn't come <laughs> home either. <laughs> I would leave my minus 40 to go and live in Thailand for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're currently early morning, eight o'clock. We're about 26, 27 degrees out here. It yeah, will get up to about 30 degrees. So yeah, it's comfortable. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. So... I'll continue with the story in that uh, living in Phuket, it wasn't my new home initially, um, but after a year of staying here, I'd sort of acclimatized and was getting into the, the culture and the, the lifestyle. Um, I was, I was, at that time, I was doing boat maintenance and repairs, so just taking care of, taking care of people's boats while they went back to the UK or went back to Europe or whatever. Uh, they just needed somebody trustworthy who would run the engines and check the rigging, etc. Um, yeah, I guess that's where my Thailand adventure started in Phuket, and I really haven't left Phuket since I arrived. I've, I've been off the island a few days, but for no extended period. Um, so various girlfriends and adventures. It's it's unusual in that, like, like we were saying earlier, you do actually find a niche, you find that you fit in better in a foreign country than you do in your native country. So that was quite a, an experience for me. How about the language? Did you, did you learn to speak the Thai language or does everyone talk English? A lot of, a lot of the Phuketians, because it's tourist-based and there's a lot of foreigners there, about 20% of the local population is expat. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So English is, is very popular and very common and everyone speaks it, yes. Wow. Um, but it, it was a learning curve and it was something that I did try to do, especially through work and through, through girlfriends, etc. was learning how to speak Thai. Yeah. Um, I think in reality it took me... It took me maybe five or seven years, and and I I sort of had this realization that I could speak Thai when I when some of my dreams were in Thai language, and it's like <laughs> okay if 
<laughs> if I'm dreaming in Thai language, then then I must be able to speak Thai, right? It's yeah. like yeah. <laughs> so we I, I had a I had a long-term girlfriend for maybe seven years. We had a little um an ice cream parlor in Phuket town. So that was that was one of my first relationships there. And that was when the the tsunami in 2004 hit. I was actually living in Phuket town. So that was quite an experience being able to help people out. Um, yeah, quite traumatic. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, I can remember, I mean, I was in Cambridge at the time, I can remember your parents being terribly worried about you because, right. of course, they heard about the tsunami and they were waiting to hear from you. So, yeah. yeah, well, there were there were islands and there were horror stories everywhere, for sure. Yeah. There were yeah. islands where the wave uh, went right across the island and wiped it out. Mm. There were survivors, obviously, but but as an island, it got wiped out. Phuket was not one of those. It was yeah. it was actually quite protected by. Um, it didn't really ha do much damage in Phuket. I think the death toll was maybe five hundred, but other places was significantly more. And I guess as a as a foreigner and not knowing anyone who had who had um, been killed by the tsunami, it sort of enabled me to contribute more mm, in mm -hmm. the. You know, every every body bag that you open, you weren't expecting to find your relative. Mm. Whereas, so so that gave me a, some freedom that you know I wasn't scared of finding somebody I knew. Um, mm. uh, so that was a relief. Mm. But yeah, that was. I guess my 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 Thai language was good enough to help the hospital. Was good enough to help the mortuary. Good enough to work with. There was a whole bunch of forensic teams that came in from Japan and Australia, et cetera, to, to go through and document all of that. Hmm. So that was a, and it's sort of become a milestone in, in Thai or in Phuket history, particularly north of the island in Pangna. Um, it's sort of a, a bookmark in the history of the place that there was pre-tsunami and then there was post-tsunami. Um, if you were there for both, then you're sort of part of the part of the furniture. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that's the the new culture thing. And I think the last slide is yeah. yeah, my my new life, I transferred from working on sailing boats and power boats um, into construction construction management. I was working as a a project manager for boat renovations and the guy said well i also have a villa or a, a resort that he wanted to finish so he enlisted me to do project management for that um so that's been my biggest cultural uh, the, my my biggest employment shift is moving across to real estate and uh luckily i found my wife who's been with me now for 14 years and i have stepdaughters who are now Actually, today's their birthday at sixteen. Oh wow! So um, we're we're celebrating tonight, and uh, it does it does take a long, long time to heal from from the wounds. But I think um, I think more generally, finding somebody or a life partner or soulmate or however you want to express that, somebody to share it with, 
it really opens up and you can work through the the cost of leaving the church and leaving your family and start building a new family building those new relationships i think is for anyone that's looking to leave or or considering leaving i think that's the that has to be the the aim that has to be the focus the target the end game is finding somebody to be a life partner again mm. yeah yeah perhaps we perhaps we need to do a podcast on how not to do dating when you leave the brethren <laughs> i think you have some stories for that don't you <laughs> yeah I, wow. I could i could write a kind of james Herriot book on the subject but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think the teenagers would listen? That's the no. Uh, teen- teenagers don't listen by definition, but right. <laughs> so that's actually a couple of pictures of uh, the projects we've done. We did one in in Laos, um, Lumprabang in Laos. That was a good experience. Again, a different culture, but similar. And uh, they're mainly beachside properties. They're mainly resorts or private villas but very high end and that pays the bills Mm. for the most part. (laughs) It's gorgeous. You've just given me some ideas for my house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think that's basically my, my story arc. Uh, I didn't want to say it was chronological, but because I sort of lose track of the dates and times over 25 years. It's, it's hard to keep track, Mm -hmm. but I think that's basically the story arc that I had. Mm -hmm. What do you reckon, Richard? Is that exotic enough for where I ended up? I think it's, I think it's very positive. Um, You know, when you leave, the world really is your oyster. There's, there's no limit. You can go where you like, and it's hard to get out of the brethren's kind of living in a box mindset, isn't it? I mean, takes a while to realize that there aren't any borders anymore there aren't any barriers you can go and find the place right. that suits your particular personality and and make a home there right and I, I think that's a it's a very big shock when you realize that there are no constraints you yeah. literally can do whatever you want yeah um i'm not saying that's ideal if you're a teenager but most people leaving the brethren would would be mature enough to to understand that you know it's not an open it's not without recourse right it's not without yeah. um mm-hmm. obligations so, yeah. mm-hmm. i think the other thing other lesson that sort of comes out of this that would be something for anyone anyone who's considering leaving maybe needs to realize that you don't actually need a vast amount of money to make your way and to be happy in the world I mean, particularly mm. now, much more so than when you left, the mindset in there is, well, unless you've got a five-bedroom detached house and a Range Rover, then you are, by definition, poor and miserable. Um, mm. But, <laughs> um, you know, having lived in Jamaica and having lived, I mean, as I do now, perfectly comfortably with very, very little mm-hmm. in the bank, um, you know, there's the, the connection between money and happiness is very tenuous. As long as you've got enough, the, right. the extra you might get, you know, it's nice, but it doesn't necessarily make you any happier. And you can have a very no, fun no. and interesting life, basically living on 
you know, what the brethren would consider not even a living wage. Um, right. Peanuts. Peanuts, peanuts is, is exactly, fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think this is going to be very inspirational for a lot of people that I've had contact with inside there that are waiting for certain things to line up financially or this and that. I think it's important to see how someone like yourself could leave. And there's just this, I mean, we don't realize it in the moment, but there is this trust we have of the leaving to take us to the next stage, to take you to the next stage, to take you to the next stage. I mean, I'm still renting. I own nothing. I mean, I, I mean, we're a very poor family, but the thing is, is it's more about the connections that you create and also realizing that it isn't at the, I mean, yes, money does help make things easier by far. It does, but you don't need these hordes and hordes of money that is so pushed within the brethren now that have so many of people that are in there tied to that they fear leaving because of the financial part of it. And I think this is a very inspirational story for people to listen to, to realize here's someone who got off a boat that borrowed $20 and look where you are today. Do you know what I mean? It isn't about the money. It's not about the money. It is about your freedom of choice. It is about giving your soul and your spirit this whole freedom of being able to just choose what do you want? Well, the other thing, Cheryl, too, is that it's all there's stories in there about people that have left, and they're all the bad stories. Mm-hmm. They're all the stories about people that have no money and they left with money and now they've got none and their lives have fallen apart, their house has fallen apart. I mean, I got told that everything would go wrong for me and everything's gone right for me. It's just lies. Yeah. I think provided you're prepared to work hard and you're not fussy about what you do, um, you'll be fine. I mean, you know, I went from working in a very complicated job in scientific optics industry to doing the dishwashing in a pub. And that was fine. As Dan said, a pub is the very best way to get to meet people and and, you know, learn how the world works, learn how people work. And, you know, it was a great atmosphere. Um, met a lot of great people. They got free beer, which you never did in the Brethren. Um, okay, it was long hours, but you know it's the best move I made. And and I think to add to that, one thing that uh, anyone leaving the Brethren maybe doesn't appreciate is the culture that you've been brought up with, respecting your elders, your your elders, and being generous in your understanding of people, empathy. Um, being honest, all of those things are, are really big assets mm-hmm. in the outside world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of crooks out here for sure. But when people meet somebody who's honest and fair, they appreciate it and they can recognize that in people that left. I think, I think that's how I survived here in Phuket is that, yeah, okay, I've got a white face. There's a, there's a language thing, but people here realize that they could trust you, entrust you with a boat. They can entrust you with a property. They can entrust you with work. And, and because you're honest and fair and being brought up this way, that, yeah, you're trustworthy. So that's, mm. that's a real asset. No, that, that's very interesting comment, and it's very true. I mean, being honest is being honest and being seen to be honest is, is mm. very, very important for anyone who's leaving. Um, 
and and when we were growing up in the brethren that was very heavily emphasized i mean lying was the greatest sin um mm. and you know you're told liars go to hell i mean sadly the brethren have lost sight of that a little in in recent years mm. but for anyone who's thinking of leaving yeah work hard and always be honest and be generous um and you will get on fine yeah yeah yeah, I was going to say that, Richard, it's a little, the last 20 years, they haven't really been working on those, those traits, um, yeah. honesty and um, respecting your elders and those sort of things are not really talked about a lot in the last 20 years, yeah. unfortunately. And I think for myself, what I realized was that, like, so you, you leave that and you do, you have this fear because you're taught every Sunday it was, I mean, in Maple Creek, it was anyhow, it was taught, you know, that if you were going to leave, the world was going to pick you up, eat you, chew you and spit you out. It was always in those words. So you get out there and you, you're just met with such, it's just the complete opposite of what you're met with. And then you, when you realize that everything that was happening inside in this condensed little container is still everywhere else, but it's spread out and not everybody's out to get you. Right. Like it's <laughs> for me, it was just like, yeah. it was such a breath of fresh air where I was able to relieve myself. I'm like, yes, everything that happens inside the brethren still happens out in the world. It's just, you have more room to move and choose not to talk to that person and have anything to do with that person. But it's, it's, the world is not what they make it out to be. It is far more freedom out here than there is inside. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you want me to carry on with those slides? Um, yeah, I think so. I, th I think there was maybe two or three points that mm -hmm, I really wanted was. to um, to I make. Important. It's um, oh, the first one is sort of. I, I know that my parents and a lot of the family members. Uh, who remained inside they feel a, a lot of guilt about you know what did we do wrong why did you leave was it our mistake or this or that or the next thing and I, I think this is very important for anyone's of them that may be listening is that the decision to leave was based when I was 13 I do distinctly remember this uh, fellowship meeting I think it was like a pre-three-day meeting that we had in Cambridge. It was at the Mowbray Road meeting room with the yellow carpet and the green seats yep. in which Mr. John Hales came and, and his, he gave a reading about becoming a man, taking responsibility, a, the age of 13 being the age where you become responsible for your own actions, etc. And I, I was listening um, and I did, I did consider, you know, age 13, it was, it was like he was speaking directly to me, as you feel sometimes when you're sitting in a meeting hall. Um, and, and I looked around the meeting and I, I decided then and there I had two choices. One was, one was either to, to fit in and comply and conform with the aim of moving up within the hierarchy and gaining status and gaining, you know, that's the, I guess that's the human side that you, you're, feeding an ego which mm -hmm. is very much fed within the within the brethren right with a hierarchy and i really couldn't see myself climbing that greasy pole to get up to the top of the <laughs> the brethren in cambridge that that was yeah. just like way too much competition 
too much hard work and something that I really didn't believe in. Um, so the second choice was to um, was to leave uh, with the army, um, with the army being the the easy option out. Hmm. That was my first consideration in that you get free bed and board, something to do, and 20, 22 years of service, you get retirement. It sounded good when you're 20, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I would have been retired by now, but yeah. So you were never, so you were never kind of afflicted with the idea that, well, if you leave the brethren, you're going to go to hell and, you know, you're going to spend eternity burning. That, that never troubled you. I, I really didn't have the conviction or faith in what they were talking about. I didn't really buy into it. Mm. Um, I conformed and I nodded my head and said the right words, but I didn't have that underlying belief system. Yeah. In the, you know, there was, you know, eternal damnation. That's, yeah. it's like, well, what is, what are we living through now? It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was, that was sort of my mentality from the age of 13. I mm. was focused on either you climb the greasy pole within the hierarchy or you leave. And, um, and I think from an early age, I decided to leave. And it mm. was just a case of, how and when and what damage would be incurred and what would I lose? Um, and I think most people that have been inside will appreciate what you lose um, is very significant. It really is very significant and very painful to lose it. Um, but there are other things as well to mm. counterbalance that. So I, I specifically avoided preaching and uh, I avoided discussions about future and marriage. As you get closer to the age of, I don't know, 18, 20, they start talking about houses and making a commitment and finding a partner. And then, you know, how many kids do you want and all of this sort of thing. And it was like, I, I knew I had to leave before I got married. Yeah. Um, that was that was my target, my aim. I mean, there was a lot of pressure in Cambridge at that time. There was a huge pressure to get married. Mm. Um, which you probably remember. And I still have nightmares about it. I still get nightmares where I'm back in Cambridge and there's this pressure to get married and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It it obviously made a dent in my psyche somewhere. Um, Well, that's particularly relevant to to probably your family, who's, what, uh, three boys? And there was other households that also had three, four, five boys only in their family it was something and, in the uh, water no, wasn't it there was a surf of brothers yeah right there was a lot of uh young men that were yeah. not yet committed to to marriage yeah yeah that that's was... right yeah yes. sorry okay yeah, i mean cer- certainly you know just to repeat your point is that you know uh, uh, unless you're absolutely certain that you're going to be happy in the brethren for the rest of your days, then do not get married in the brethren because that makes the whole leaving process so much more tragic, so much more painful. Yes. You can imagine going through my, um, my teenage years with hormones and desires, etc. Every now and again, you would see a, a sister that would make you think twice and mm. say, you know, maybe it would work with, with somebody looking like that or somebody, you know, but then... Yeah. That's only skim deep. 
it's only mm-hmm. my mental you know gymnastics mm-hmm. as to what could be yes whereas the reality is that you would be in there for life mm. and children and marriage and it's a whole there's a whole commitment there which is a lot yeah. harder to leave you know mm. Mm. Another point that I really wanted to share was um, my own personal conviction because because I think that's always confused my family when I talked to them subsequently. Um, I realized I didn't have any conviction. There was There was something that the older brethren used to talk about, like a confession of faith that teenagers used to have to do. When you came of age and came of responsibility, you had to make a confession of faith. Mm. Now, that was out of fashion by the time I came along. I never had to do that. And all I needed to do to stay in the brethren was to nod my head and say the right words. And, okay, they assume that you believe everything that's going on. But I found that having left the brethren and having a, a really bad experience on board the boat leaving from the UK, probably due to my my mental gymnastics of you know all this pent-up beliefs and confusion as to what i was doing and why i was doing it um i had a real test i don't i don't think it was across the bay of biscay but we had some bad weather in the mediterranean and i i i pledged myself through my own conviction through nobody coercing you or anything like that it was it was a pledge and and I got through that, and I found that that gave me conviction mm-hmm. and faith. I, I managed to find it on my own. Um, and I think that's it sort of speaks to, I mean, obviously there was a lot of teaching, 19 years of growing up in the church. There's a lot of faith and belief that is sort of redundant in the back of your mind. Uh, and in your in your time of need, actually some of it does make sense not not as a not as a like a group therapy but as a personal conviction mm. so I, I think that was always confusing to my parents when i shared that with them that my conviction comes after leaving the church yeah that's really interesting yeah mm. i i think it was through the fog of being in the church and being cultured in that and and every day going to meetings and listening to people's opinions about scriptures and it's like there's no room for you to have your own conviction Mm -hmm. you've just got everyone else's opinion and everyone else tells you what you should be thinking and doing and so on and so forth so i i I wanted to share that point that you need you need your own space to be able to become become to uh, question your own beliefs and find your own values um and be comfortable in your own skin was my yeah point. yeah that, that, that's really interesting um but because yeah, i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of good contained in what the brethren teach and say but also mixed in with that kind of intimately are ideas that are not helpful you know like this extreme separation and how you're supposed to reject people who've decided to leave and while you're in there it's impossible to you know sort the wheat from the chaff Mm. um but once you got that 
silence and peace and be, being able to think in your own mind, then you can, you know, refine it down to what's good and realize that that doesn't necessarily have to come with a lot of baggage that's actually no. detrimental. To be honest, that, that sort of comes with age as well, Richard, right? Because from the things that used to become an argument for me in my teenage years was things like wearing white socks and wearing <laughs> checkered shirts. And those, those were the pitch battles within the church you know they were the things oh, i forgot the wearing, white socks yeah he was he was wearing white socks and that was outrageous and it was yeah. like <laughs> that's really nothing to do with you know faith that has nothing yeah. to do with faith well, if you wear them long enough they'll probably change to a kind of beige color from experience yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'd forgotten the white socks thing yeah that was a that was a big deal wasn't it it was a I'm very not, big deal. Yeah, I'm not sure what the scripture is for that. Probably something about wearing a linen ephod or something. I'm sure Peter could give us a scripture for white socks. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure the white socks thing reached New Zealand, but we had the check shirt thing came up, and yeah. apparently someone said it was like wearing your work shirts in the meeting. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, yeah. But that what you've just said, Dan, about you know, um, having more conviction after you've left the brethren, that sort of topics come up on the Facebook chats a bit, and quite a few people have said that they've their convictions deepened after leaving the brethren. Mm -hmm. um, that's when they became a Christian, was after leaving the brethren. Of course, there's a whole mixed bag of different people as to their faith journey and all that, but there is a good number of people that have said exactly what you've just said. Right. I don't remember, like, I don't remember happy scripture readings growing up ever. <laughs> for me, it was always just, what are we getting into trouble for? Like every time we went to meeting, <laughs> that's what I remember. So then when I left and you start experiencing what real joy is or real happiness is for me, that's when I really started having belief and faith in something much bigger than myself, but it never, I never felt like I was, I never felt that inside the meeting. Never. Mm -mm. Mm. It was only after when you start getting out and you have your hard times and you start, you know, building up from those hard times. I had told my parents at one point that I said like the connection that I had within myself now, nobody could ever take away. I said, because it, I never had it growing up. And so for me to have this connection now, nobody could ever take it away from me, right? It's just so different out here than it is in there. Mm. I think, Cheryl, I mean, you, as you've often said, your family was right at the bottom of the totem yeah. pole. You're very downtrodden. Um, Dan's family and my family were both quite respectable, kind of middle of the bunch, um, generally kept out of trouble. And so, yeah, I mean... We had probably, particularly before high school years, we had quite a pleasant childhood. Our families were relatively well off, didn't want for anything. Um, but you, you know, and, and in some ways I was thinking that maybe partly why Dan thought, well, I've got to climb up the ladder because I think everyone realizes in the Brethren, you do not want to be at the bottom of the totem pole. No. There's just too for many sure. people treading on you. And there's always a family in, in every locality. There's a family that's downtrodden and despised. 
and they get all the flack. I mean, I suppose it was the Warrens in Cambridge and it was the Gilders in Thaxton and probably anyone from anywhere will know that when there's a there's a pecking order in every locality and there's not only someone at the top, there's also some family that is right at the bottom and everything is blamed on them. So but, I think you're But experience... why was that, Richard? Why why were why were those two families singled out as being bottom of the totem but what did they do wrong well i don't i can't know. i can't remember anything I, it's i mean it's it's human nature it, it's true of any social oh. animal that when you put them together in a pack um i mean it's more than human nature it, it, it's the nature of living things any social animal oh. whether it's wolves or chickens or humans you put them together in a pack and they fight and scrap until someone comes out on top and someone's right. left on the bottom um but but maybe I'm looking back in rose tinted glasses. But both of those families were very nice families. They were very nice. Fathers, and most mothers, of them are children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, most they, of the I, time. it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their no. fault. <laughs> it, it was just what always happens. <laughs> right. It was it was cast upon them from an outside source, from a superior. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel I'm... ashamed how I reflected yeah. that in my attitude to them for mm. no reason other than that. Well. Everyone did that. They right. were the ones you laughed at and made jokes about. I think of my dad. And I mean, out of any preaching, he had the best preaching and it was on compassion. He got in trouble for it. But he like most of the people that are at the bottom of the totem pill are the most humble, genuine, authentic people, you know, and they just get placed there. There's usually some I mean, in our case, it was a vendetta that was handed down, you know, generationally. but. Um, Usually they are. They're very, they're most humble and authentic people. Mm. And I, I think I'll say about Maple Creek too, it was an entirely different um, atmosphere than any other locality that we, that I'd ever been in. There was very little positive um, yeah. feedback, positive meetings, positive teaching. You just never heard it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also Richard, that um, dynamic you've just described with the, you know, downtrodden families and that sort of thing. If if the brethren stopped talking about the man of God all the time and mm -hmm. talked about Jesus, that sort of thing wouldn't happen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, your status in there tends to very much depend on your finances. Um, back in the day when Dan and I were in Cambridge, that, that wasn't a factor. Um, it was probably more kind of how spiritual you were perceived to be. Um, I don't even know what it was, what governed the, the pecking order. But, right. uh, but, but it's now, you know, currently it's much more, you know, you, you're never going to get anywhere unless you're a business owner um, and uh, doing well. Um, yeah. So I, I think this is probably my last screen here, Cheryl. Because mm -hmm. um, uh, Richard sort of reached out and said, you know, share advice for younger potential leavers or people who have recently left, etc. cetera. Um, I, I didn't want to be trying to sell the ticket out of there. Mm -hmm. So my, my advice was give it your best shot. Yeah. If, if what they're offering works for you, as it, as it does for my parents, they're very happy and they've got mm -hmm. grandchildren and great-grandchildren in there. That's fine. If, if your belief system 
is is working within the brethren then stay but from my experience um there's too many things that don't sort of add up there's too much hierarchy there's too much personal influence in the meetings etc particularly recently with the elect vessels i don't know when that started to be honest but uh, i remember from symington to to the two Haleses, um if it if it doesn't make sense then you have to find other convictions you have to find other paths is my is my point hmm. i made a conscious effort to try and be unencumbered as i mentioned earlier not having you know children and life partners and houses and businesses by the time i left at the age of 19 i was i was pretty much unencumbered but it was getting very close to a time where the expectation was that you would get married and have children mm. so I, I consider myself lucky there yeah and as a whole the the world outside i've only experienced a very small part of it and there's a whole bunch of new chapters coming your way i guess <laughs> everyone can write their own story right so it's yep. it's just encouraging people to get out and meet new people visit new places yep. have a meal with somebody that comes from a different culture or a different background mm -hmm. yeah and it's alternative religions yes for sure you've got to take them on board and you'd be amazed how how similar they are that they are um you know the life experience of uh, uh, somebody growing up Muslim in Thailand, and they've got references to Abraham and all these other prophets that they have. It's it's all relevant. It's all related. The storyline is still the same. The story arc is still the same. You know, mm. so they're teaching the same ethics. Yeah. Um, so experiencing different life experiences and understanding other people's expectations was was a big growing curve for me and I, I just feel that i can say this from the east the western world is is very polarized and very blind to the tragedy that is the third world i guess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah very materialistic you would say yes yeah very 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 fixed in their own targets and expectations and lived experience, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about it. I need to put a timeline on it. But if you imagine that the Western world coming through the Roman Empire and all of that stuff, mm. we're maybe a thousand generations away from the Stone Age. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. whereas my wife's family is probably only 500 generations away from the Stone Age. People yeah. were living in caves. They were living in slavery, um, you know, up until relatively recently, mm. two or three generations. I mean, mm. that's really not very long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not to—it's not to say that they're backward. They—they they still have iPhones. They still have access to education and all these opportunities. But it's coming on the back of a lived experience where their grandparents were in poverty. Yes. I mean, literal poverty, begging for food. Yeah, driving a Mercedes in two gen yep. two generations or three generations, it's an ex extraordinary step, leap forward. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> hmm. 
No, you did that very well here. I love this. Yeah. Blaze your own yeah. trail, shine your own light, do whatever it takes to get your own convictions of faith and self. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not promoting a, a faith, a particular faith. I have mine and everyone else will find theirs. That's that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you really do have to write your own story. So yeah. Yeah. I mean it's really the liberty to be yourself, isn't it? I mean, I think that's what is um, I mean, some people can be themselves in the brethren because what the brethren is just suits what they yeah. naturally are, their natural inclinations, and they're fine yeah. in there. But for someone who just isn't naturally like that, it can be a torment to mm. stay and sort of submit yourself to all the rules and regulations. Mm. And, you know, the message is, if it's not for you, if this isn't what you are, then there's a whole world out here. You'll find somewhere, you'll find a life partner <laughs> friends and a, and a place and a situation and and uh, and a career that suits what you are and that's what needs to change in there right that's what needs to change there needs to be this flexibility no one's trying to take the church down like for me i've like said that over and over it is not about shutting the doors on the pbcc it's not at all but it's formulating it in a way that people have the ease to go in and out of whatever they want to go in and out of without having any um, backlash, right? It's that's the thing is that it's the closeness of it that has to open up. So people have the ability when I'm having people from inside calling me crying at the torture they're going through, that's not right. You know, they should have the capability and the ability to be able to get up and go to what they need to. Yeah. Well, that's that's why I shared that uh, personal story of salvation of where I got my conviction. Mm -hmm. Because having having got the conviction after I left the church, and as you get older, you start to wonder, well, out of the 100 or 200 people in my locality, how many of them are actually convicted about what they're saying? How, how many of them actually hold the conviction of what they're espousing and preaching and joining in readings about and then yeah. reprimanding other people for not having conviction yeah i mean yeah. that's that's got to be the worst of the worst right Hi hypocrisy yeah. in there it's yeah. like yeah no I, i'm not i'm not casting aspersions i hopefully everyone in there believes 100 percent of what they're espousing but having lived that and having been there and having been part of that group who are reprimanding people for not believing while myself not believing, I yeah. realized that <laughs> the likelihood of being a hundred percent is, is very small. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, it's I terrible. if I, if we, if we all weren't getting messages from inside there, there are people that weren't reaching out and saying, you know what, thank you for doing what you're doing. And this is helping us <laughs> so much. And <laughs> I mean, if that wasn't coming out from inside there, I probably would be like, okay, we don't need to do this. But when there's people in there that are screaming and really relying on these podcasts weekly, it's, you know, that they're unsettled, right? I just, I guess I wish so badly that it wasn't all about these great men and they, they've literally lost the heart of Christianity in it because it's just about the great men. This mm. literally all it is. And I mean, I know we're not going to go into it today. It'll be another podcast, but that, I mean, literally the Sydney seminar was all about that. It's just about the great men. I mean, Peter can, Peter can make a comment on that if he wants. Oh, <laughs> no, 
No, I've, I've listened to the Sydney seminar. And... We'll, we'll do a separate podcast for it, but it is. And yeah. it is. It's, it's sad that they that's what's been lost, right? They've just lost what a church is really supposed to be for. Yeah, I'll, I'll just like to reinforce you know, what Dan was saying about um, you know, conviction and and leaving. Um, one thing that was commented on on Facebook today was how Bruce Ells has said several times that that if you leave, your eternal salvation is questionable and you can't leave and still claim to have a link with, with God. And these sort of extreme things, he's trying to put the fear into people like yourself, Dan, that have made a choice to leave. Um, right. That's, 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 not, that's not mutually exclusive to leaving or staying. No, nobody <laughs> has a guaranteed ticket to heaven. That doesn't exist. No. <laughs> you have to work on that. It takes yeah. effort and conviction. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. His, his reason for saying it is to put a, a, a fear, fear into people of yes. leaving. Yeah. And, Just trying and, to scare um, them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so wrong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this story is going to be very, very inspirational to a lot of people. I am so grateful that you did the um, slides up that you did and had the pictures. Yeah. It's it, because it's to see it is just, it makes me want to go. It makes yeah, me want right. to pack up my bags tonight. We're empty nesters well, no. now. Our last boy just moved out. And after seeing that, I'm like, oh, I could just like, you know, pack everything up. Yeah. And <laughs> well, there's an open question to everyone. If anyone's come to Thailand, then, you know, hit me up on Facebook. And <laughs> but that was also why I wanted to share it because. I do see various people on Facebook, which I do have a connection with, went to school with, similar age group, and these names pop up. Sorry. Yeah, we can still hear you. Yeah, keep okay. going. These names pop up, and uh, they they must, they probably don't think of me, but they must wonder, I wonder what happened to him. Where did he go? He dropped off the map, you know, and it was like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll share my story as to, as to where I've been and what I've done. And I'm 45. I guess there's a few more years to be trekking this trail. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on and thank you very much for having sharing me. your story with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. That was brilliant, Dan. Thank you so much for doing it. No, thank it, you, guys. It's, it's really good to have some happy stories on here. Yeah, it is. It's been a little intense lately. So it was yep. good to have a little <laughs> breather of some <laughs> something positive. But yes, if we all we might all end up on your doorstep. Yep. <laughs> welcome. You're we welcome. Have lots of room. <laughs> Carmen's we'll gonna bring someone. all her goats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carmen's Carmen's gonna buy the yacht and we'll be we'll be sailing your way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay well thank you so much and thanks thank to everyone for joining us until next time much love to everybody thank you guys thanks. Bye. to share your story or be a guest on the show email info.getalife at proton.me